is this about to launch into like the greatest tea? <laughs> <laughs> My name's Quincy. My name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men. But keep your thumb away from that skip button. Because we're here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. Hello and welcome back to episode two of... Oh wait, Kevin, have we named like this new era? I keep waiting for Let's you to Let's not up. do this on air because <laughs> no, we have not. But I was going to say episode two of this season, but also episode one of like... The new gag. So as we've discussed already in this new era of Sentman Pod... You're going to be getting one wicked episode a month and one non-wicked episode a month. Non-wicked guest, because knowing us, wicked will find a way into the conversation, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm never not talking about wicked. (laughs) Um, But we thought this would just be a fun way to shake up the format and spread our wings a little more. I don't know if y'all have pieced this together or not, but we do enjoy other entries in the musical theater catalog. So. I'm really excited. I'm really excited. And I think today's guest is like a perfect guest to kick this new format off with. Well, first of all, I just want to point out that at the end of the last episode, you were like, if everything works out the way we want it to, I think we're going to come back with someone really cool. And we are. Like you were talking about- Oh, was I really? I don't even remember that. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's- Because we've been manifesting this. We hadn't even spoken to her at that point about coming on. The guest is Daphne Rubin Vega. I'm really fucking pumped because right alongside my Wicked era as like a sixth, seventh, eighth grader was the Rent era. Eighth grade is when I discovered Rent too, although we were talking before we started recording that like our discovery points of Rent are probably different, like our entry points. What was yours? Well, mine was was Wicked, really, because it was like Wicked brought me to Adina oh, and Adina brought me to Rent. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, so Rent brought me to Adina and Adina brought me to Wicked. That's cute. But for me, it was... The, I discovered the Rent movie in eighth grade. Yeah, that didn't exist when I <laughs> discovered Rent. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited, though, because Rent was very meaningful to me as like a teenager because I had always been a musicals person. That was always like the language I spoke. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so then like to be hitting adolescence and then handed this angry, horny, gay musical right when I needed it, it was like, oh, oh, cool, 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 cool. So how old were you? Like, do you remember Rent, original Broadway cast recording? Do you remember Rent, Tony performance? Is that the era or were you still young for that? No, 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 no. So so Rent came out in 96 when I, I was five. I was turned five that year. So Wicked came out in 2003 when I was about to turn 12. And I was in sixth grade when that happened. And then I was in seventh grade when I saw Rent the following year. I remember I was in eighth grade. I was in a musical theater class and they taught us Seasons of Love, as you do in a middle school musical theater class. That hooked me into Rent. I watched the movie, shook to my core because like, pretty crazy themes for a kid in Hawaii to like see. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then I came into class the next day and like, I was kind of close to my teacher. So like was kikiing with her. And then she gave me the original Broadway cast recording, which was like this uh, plastic. It was, you know, like the double disc thick thing, CDs that like opened out. Do I know it, Quincy? Those are called jewel cases, just so you know. Not the thin one that is like the one CD, like the thick ones. Oh, I know. (laughs) So she gave me the Rent original Broadway cast recording in a jewel case. And she was like, be careful with this. Like, do not fuck it up, essentially. And I remember I took it home, wore it out, wore it out. And I I cracked the front of the jewel case and was terrified to give it back to her. So I told her I lost it. Like, I just didn't give it back to her ever. I told her I lost it. Oh, my God. That's worse, (laughs) Quincy. (laughs) But then also I got to keep it. And that is also when I discovered Goodbye Love, which is famously not in the movie. Okay, so love Rent. Love a lot of iterations of Rent. The movie is good for like for what it was trying to be, right? Oh, really? But like I miss all of those operatic parts of the musical where it's not a reflective song. It's like a song that is a dialogue. Sure. I don't miss the voicemails in the movie, I'll say. I would have loved to hear Sarah Silverman doing My Danny, Alexi, darling. 
or my cell phone at 863-6794, or my cell phone at 919-763-0090. You know what voicemail sticks in my head? Well, Joanne, we're off. We tried you at the office. (laughs) (laughs) And remind her that those unwed mothers in Harlem need her legal help, too. And uh, Barah! Oh, my God. Where were you the first time that you, like, understood the Doc Martens joke? Do I understand the Doc Martens joke? Great. So <laughs> it'll it'll come for you. I feel like we never get, like, a butch Joanne. Uh, I guess, like, Joanne is always butchier than Maureen. Yeah, but, like, wouldn't it be hot if she was, like... Butch, butch. But, Quincy, what a perfect transition, because we know and love Daphne originally from Rent, but Rent was, like the beginning of her career this is the beginning the beginning of the rest of her life so kevin why don't you run us through this icon's resume buckle up because she's a long story (laughs) but she's full of success so daphne urban vega as we uh just said obviously was in the original broadway cast of rent before that she was in a girl group called pajama party and performed with the comedy group el barrio usa her first touch point with rent was in the 1994 workshop at new york theater workshop she continued to work with the show for the next two years until in 1996 it opened at new york theater workshop to rave reviews, infamously or notoriously, tragedy surrounded that production. Jonathan Larson died right after or the night of the first preview. The crossroad of like how good the show was combined with how like tragic that narrative was fast-tracked the show to Broadway the same year, 1996, where Daphne made her Broadway debut in a Tony-nominated performance as Mimi Marquez in Rent. That's insane. That's actually really crazy. I've heard her talk a lot about how like they just wanted to like kick the doors down on musical theater and like rewrite the books. And so to like do that and then be like welcomed for Mm -hmm. it is so Mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if we stopped there, Quincy, that would be an incredible career. (laughs) But that is bullet D on my list and we have to get all the way to T. So I'm going to keep going. Please do. After Rent, her next appearance on Broadway was uh, the 2000 original revival cast of the Rocky Horror Show as the Usherette and Magenta, one of the greatest cast recordings in recent memory, I'm going to say. I went back to listen to it and I literally forgot Alice Ripley was in that. Yeah, it's like a stacked cast. Raul Esparza doing Time Warp. And you love Rocky Horror too, don't you? I do love Rocky Horror. It's fun. After that, uh, in 2003, Miss Ruben Vega was back on Broadway in Anna and the Tropics, which was her second Tony nomination as Best Featured Actress in a Play. In a play. She's an actress. <laughs> in 2006, she was in the Lincoln Center cast of The House of Bernarda Alba. Also in 2006, she was in the original Broadway revival cast of the first revival of Les Mis as Fantine. <laughs> Honestly, giving one of the best I dreamed of dreams I've ever watched, and I've watched a lot of them. Following that, in 2007, she was in Jack Goes Boating at The Public. In 2012, back on Broadway in A Streetcar Named Desire as Stella. Which I wrote fan mail to her in. (laughs) Incredible. In 2015, she did a one-woman show called Empanada Loca at Labyrinth Theatre Company, which was then released as an audio play, like a like on Audible, later adapted into a podcast, like a radio play. And now, like we're recording on a Sunday, like on Friday, it was announced that Amazon picked it up to make into like a full series. And she's an EP on the series. Mega is getting her bag. I'm happy for her. Uh, In 2016, she did the world premiere of Miss You Like Hell Mm. at La Jolla. uh, And then she reprised the role at The Public in 2018. Which I saw on Mother's Day, which if you know the show, it's kind of the best and worst thing to see on Mother's Day. (laughs) Did you see it by yourself? I sure did. (laughs) We'll talk about that later. Um, (laughs) So that was 2018. In 2019, she filmed... The film adaptation of In the Heights, literally right down the street from me. Fun fact, her trailer was parked outside my building. Love that. You've been manifesting this ever since. And of course, then that movie was famously released two years later following the pandemic in 2021. We loved it. We're obsessed with it. I mean, Daphne Rubin Vega is 
she's everywhere. She is on our television screens. She is on Katie Keene, Tales of the City, legendary publicist Agnes on Smash. (laughs) Not only is she on some of our favorite cast recordings, but she is a recording artist. She has broken the Billboard 100 twice. Love that. She's busy. I'm going to say it. She is a film actress. She's in The Wild Thing. She's in Rachel Getting Married. She is in the Sex and the City movie. She reprised her role in Jacko's Boating on film. She has been nominated at the Drama Desks, the Theater World Awards, the Outer Critics Circle Awards, the Almas, and of course, the Tonys. Homegirl is on the Tony nominating committee. Which I love. She has been the moment for 30 years. She is Daphne Rubin Vega. That was really good, Kevin. That was a saga. (laughs) It took me like an hour to map all of that out yesterday. We have a Google Doc where we like outline this. I went into the doc and put resume and then did not do anything else. And then Kevin went in. It it should be noted, you also copy and pasted Jessica Vosk's (laughs) outline into this as like a template. For like two seconds, I was like, oh my God, he did so much work on this. And so it fully was just like changed to Daphne Rubin Vega. And then all the questions were like, how did Fiddler do this? That was my contribution. Can I give your choices, options, and bootlegs for Miss Rubin Vega? Quincy, I would love it if you did, and I I honestly can't wait to know what it is. You know exactly what it is. It's her I Dreamed a Dream in the Lame is Revival. I was hoping it was. Because let me tell you, I I missed the era where this happened in real life, right? Like, so I wasn't like plugged in to anything that was going on while Daphne Rubin Vega was actually playing Fontaine in the revival. I discovered the bootleg later in life. Mm-hmm. It is so, so, so good. And so raw and so real. She is performing and like so stoic. You know what I mean? Like she's she's so still, but like you can just feel it dripping out of her. Oh, she's so good. Heartbreaking. And we were also talking about how Adina is kind of like one of the last Broadway leading ladies who hasn't been like BFA'd out of their unique voice. And like watching Daphne do I Dreamed a Dream like harkens back to that as well, where it's like at a certain point, I think we've stopped casting people who fall outside of the mold of like what I imagine a BFA program would shape you into. Those are not the people who become like Broadway stars Mm -hmm. now. It's hard to say like writ large. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it. It's, you can't make a blanket about it. But but. there is like a, even talking about like, there is when you listen to like Broadway cast recordings before, maybe before Wicked, you hear voices that are so unique and so specific and bring Mm -hmm. such life to a character. Listen, we all know I love a contemporary musical. (laughs) And I love a high belt and I love all of that. But the contemporary musicals does get a little more uh, homogenous in sound. Excellent use of the word homogenous. Is that even the correct use of the word homogenous? That is, yeah. I mean, it's like a creative (laughs) use of the word, but yeah. I think the Alphaba, Elsa, Jenna, Fontaine, (laughs) Venn diagram are all slowly becoming like a circle. Uh And I think back in the day, they all could be very separate things, if that makes sense. Yeah. All this to say is I'm really appreciating the uniqueness that Daphne Rubin Vega brought to Fontaine. She's one of these stars who like you can't teach what what makes her Yes. Special. Same like like Adina. You can't teach that. You can't duplicate it. So yeah, that's my choices, options, and bootlegs. Anything else? I think we should just get into it. Yeah. Daphne Rubin Vega, thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure. It's a beautiful sunny day, so I get good light. (laughs) The shtick of our podcast has been we've been interviewing actresses and actors who have done Wicked and are known for doing Wicked. Mm -hmm. And then in this new year, we wanted to branch out and do some Wicked episodes, some non-Wicked episodes. And you were the first pick for our first non-Wicked guest. I am beyond honored. (laughs) I was briefly distracted by your gorgeous nails but then i quickly <laughs> i quickly so pulled back because um <laughs> because i'm very happy to be the first i love being a first yeah i mean honestly from the second we had the idea we were like who's it gotta be and then we all said it's gotta be daphne thank you thank you for having me so what do i talk about like i guess one one good way to start is uh i was doing the rocky horror show 
Okay. Tom Hewitt and Joan Jett and Jared Emick and Raul Esparza, Dick Cavett, Leah Delaria. It was it was awesome. Alice Ripley. I mean, a stacked cast. It was stacked, and yeah. I got and I was I was so um, just like in it, right? And um, I got the call to audition for Wicked. <gasps> for what part, Daphne? <laughs> Well, what do you think, yo? <laughs> so I'm all green, right? Like I was born green. Right, right. But no, I, I um, <laughs> anyway, so, and I just, and I just look like long story short, I just flat out said, no, I'm really busy with this and I can't focus, you know? I don't yeah. want to learn a new song. I don't want to mm-hmm. do this. I don't want to do that. I'm going to do this. And my, I remember my agent going, are, are you sure about that? I, yes, yes. And then, Uh you know, what happened, happened. And, you know, the next thing I knew, I'd go into the nail salon and pick a color. And it's like, it's fucking Wicked. You know, like, (laughs) it was like, Wicked was everywhere. And I just remember, like, just the expression, like, Wicked was like, yeah, just being bombarded. (laughs) Watching Idina go through all these stages of iterations and changes and morphing and, and I was like, wow, like... Did you ever have a moment of like, oh, I should have gone in for that? Yeah, of course I did. I, of course. But I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm one of those people who believes that things go where they're supposed to. You know, I'm not going to mm-hmm. fight. I also think that, you know, Menzel is perfectly qualified to play the damn role. I mean, I yeah. would, you know, like like what Daphne would have done for Elphaba would have been so radically different that um, yeah. I don't know. So, you know, so that's not even a question. And I'm sure seeing Adina in that type of a role must have been pretty. At that point, I was used, you know, like the world was getting used to, as was Adina, people, like she would walk on and get applause. So it was perfect Mm -hmm. kind Mm -hmm. of vehicle. Mm -hmm. But also to see an actor, a fellow, a comrade, Mm -hmm. a friend, bust they only ass to do it right and Uh get it right is a powerful thing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's powerful, it's inspiring, it could be, you know, all the things, but it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for like kicking off this interview with A Wicked (laughs) Story. That wasn't our intention, (laughs) but I appreciate it. I just wanted to ground us in our our elements. All on the same page It was very good. And I think that will come back into play later because I do think there are a lot of parallels to draw between like the rent phenomenon and the wicked phenomenon. But before we get into that, we would love to just hear, and I know that you have been talking about this for decades at this point, but just a quick overview of how rent came into your life and the audition process, because you weren't a self-described theater girly at the time that rent came into your life. Right. As the story goes, I would love to embellish it and make it better. (laughs) Uh, I was not working at Patricia Field at the time, but I had been. Do you know Patricia Field? Pat Field styled Sex and the City, and now she styled, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Emily in Paris. And she had a store on 8th Street, and then she had many other stores. She still has a store um, downtown. And, you know, she was like, you know, the OG, one of the OG badasses in, in the village who um, mm. who really was a purveyor of, of downtown style. And so I worked at that store, and there were a lot of, you know, trans people we affectionately termed as drag queens back in the day, who, you know, mm-hmm. just like working their onlyness, you know. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, and mm-hmm. so it was, a, it was a hotbed of that. So I had just finished working there, and I was working at a comedy troupe, and my beeper went off because it was beeper times, and... <laughs> Um, I was asked to audition for a rock opera based on mm-hmm. La Boheme, where Mimi, because I was familiar with La Boheme, um, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. tuberculous seamstress was yeah. actually a junkie stripper with yeah. AIDS. That's what And what was your theater knowledge up until this point? My theater knowledge was much more uh, focused on, on plays and classical theater okay. or modern theater. Mm-hmm. And not so much musicals at all. Mm-hmm. My lexicon of musicals was Jesus Christ Superstar, Tommy, Hair. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. 
the me nobody knows and the me nobody knows had irene cara in it that was just like Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, my parents were definitely La Mama theater people, right? That's really cool, though. Well, yeah, it was really cool. You know, the Black Latina mom mm-hmm. and the Jewish dad was like, that's real theater. Broadway is not. You know, yeah. anything pop. <laughs> like, there, there was an expression at the time that pop eats itself, you know, with, with all due respect to everyone who's grown up differently. Like, Annie was just like, you know... <laughs> Not the thing that we we did at my house, right? Like Brigadoon? Hell no. You know what I mean? It doesn't speak to me either. Uh-huh. You know, it yeah. wasn't, there was nothing that had anything to say to me. Mm-hmm. And the consciousness at home was like, they ain't got nothing to say. Well, they do not have anything to say to you, Daphne. Mm. You know? So anyway, I'm kind of getting deep about it, but that was sort of my resistance. You know, I was much more rock and roll, Lower East Side. You know, WBLS was like, you know, what I listened to. The Black Listening Station. And gotcha. there was a man named Frankie Crocker. It was like soul music. It was like, you know, like it was black music. And then there was rock yeah. and roll. So they were polarized, but they were part of my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I mean, I'm saying all that to say that by the time I got into uh, Wicked, I didn't get into Wicked. (laughs) By the time I was prepared to like audition and show out for Rent, Mm -hmm. my experience of musical theater was limited, but my experience of music, and particularly Mm -hmm. rock and roll music, was broad and ample, and I was prepared to yeah. embody that person mm-hmm. and when i listened yeah. to a demo and listened to jonathan sing it it was like okay this is how it should be done at least that was my you know yeah. i could actually show you how this can be done as opposed right. to the other way around like you're saying you had this opportunity to put your stamp on this song but did you feel from the start rent was your vehicle or a vehicle to put your stamp on the theater scene it was beyond the wildest dream but i knew that it was powerful because as someone who was not very responsive to musical theater this changed everything for me. This was like finding your community. Everybody on that stage was my people. In front and behind the stage, those were my people, you know? Mm -hmm. And we were talking about things that I did know about, you know, experiences that I could have. Rent was extremely powerful at that time, and for for me specifically, Mm -hmm. personally, because it was addressing all that like talk about being seen you know and there was still so much work to be done right but especially for when the time rent was being done to be talking about those themes i think Mm -hmm. was really revolutionary oh 100 percent yeah i think so but i mean you know we were just having this discussion that like things that are cringeworthy like toe curling offensive bali high to name a particular point but that when that was created, it was created mm-hmm. to embrace, to recognize, to yeah. kind of like amplify or, or show something else, right? Yeah. It was, it was there to yeah. get, to educate, you know, in, in as, you know, supremacist a way as it could. I just went to this like equity and diversity training for one of the shows I'm working on. I'm so glad you survived it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting because they talked about how On Broadway, things back in the day that were so progressive, we look back on now and are like, oh, that's actually really problematic in the way that we were talking about these issues. But then recognizing that like, there are things that we're doing now that are gonna be looked back on in 40, 50 years as problematic. Mm. And it's like a constantly evolving thing. Yeah, and language matters, language matters, you know? Mm -hmm. I always think, Jonathan, I know you would have changed this lyric today. When the Spanish babies cry, like like there's no Spanish babies. You know, I'm not Spanish. I've never even fricking been to Spain. And yet my blood reflects (laughs) places we've never been anyway i digress we know that the normal trajectory of a broadway show through like the workshops off broadway broadway changes a lot to opening night on broadway yes with jonathan's passing was rent frozen at that moment uh yeah i think so i think Mm. um 
you know, one thing that was very educational and powerful and and beautiful was to see how Tim Weil, our musical director, and Michael Greif, and, you know, the artistic director of the New York Theatre Workshop, Jim Nicola, and, um, you know, the powers that really were producing and made a, a concerted effort to, to honor Jonathan's uh, style and impact and kind of what he wanted. I think with that context, it's like even more so impressive that Rent went on to be what it became because in a lot of ways it is, I guess, an unfinished musical, you know? Well, you know, they say that art is never finished. It's abandoned. (laughs) 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 Or it's, yeah, no, it's just, it's just abandoned. I don't know. It's finished when you say it's finished. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I might not think, I might not agree with you, but yeah. And that would have to be finished. Um, You're saying about, you know, knowing when you're finished. After having worked on that show for so long and put so much of yourself into Mimi, what is it then like when you make the decision to say like, okay, I'm done with this show and now I, I hand it to somebody else? That's a privilege, you know, to like, to like do a run in the show and say like, whoa, okay, I think I'm done you know, mm-hmm. uh, moving mm-hmm. on as opposed to like the show closing Yeah. or, you know. By the time you hung up the towel, were you ready or was it a hard decision? Yes and yes. <laughs> I was ready and it was very painful. I mean, I had been doing it for 18 months kind of straight, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I've never done since. Um, I don't really That's recommend because it is and it takes a toll on your physical being. <laughs> Mimi was such a physical role. Yes, honey. That's not just like a park and bark. You know, 25 years later, I'm like, oh my God. Like, you did yeah. that. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's okay that you don't do that today. And that, you know, to, to, to walk up the hill and pick up your mail is like really fabulous. <laughs> so the character of Mimi. Yes. I think feels very Daphne Rubin Vega. I imagine that's because you obviously originated the role. What was Mimi on the page when you first booked in comparison to what Mimi ended up being on opening night mm. of Broadway? Well, do you know how it was described in the audition? Imagine Gloria Estefan. Uh-huh. And Sinead O'Connor. I filled in a character that was a cross between two individuals that I could not be more unlike. So I think that that reflects the fact that, you know, when you have a character, you think you know what you want, but you want somebody to come in and tell you. Mm-hmm. I auditioned for thing for everything, anything I could. And I think that as far as acting specifically mm-hmm. was concerned it was like i know that feeling like i can mm-hmm. i can replicate mm-hmm. that feeling i mean mm-hmm. it felt like manipulation at the time well it feels like a very raw and human way to approach acting i think mm-hmm. not so yeah. like this is what i was taught this is my technique but more so like this is how i'm going to tap into this emotion as a human mm-hmm. you know yes exactly precisely and as a, i think as a young woman one of the first you know i i read biographies on edie sedgwick which was like so mm. like dark and romantic but not identifiable right like that was a whole other yeah. world but like even marilyn monroe i could id with that i could id with yeah. the poverty or the the lack of resource or the faking it till you make it or the recognition that like <gasps> sex can is powerful to someone who does not know power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did Rent and doing Rent, I have to imagine that kind of changed the trajectory of what you envisioned possible for your life and your career and must have opened up so many doors for you. What's post-Daphne Rent and pre-Daphne Rent's dream for life? Wow, the pre-Rent dream was to have, you know, the post-Rent life without knowing it. Mm. I really, really um, have always been a romantic and, you know, I mean, I'm a wife and I have a kid and I have a dog and I have a house and I, do you know what I mean? Like I have everything that I, you know, I didn't have growing up, but, yeah, uh, and it's great, but it's like the real thing is not in things. The real Mm -hmm. thing does never come in a thing. 
okay, so post post rent Daphne is um, someone who sometimes has to remind herself that like you're good, like this is enough. The illusion of needing to um, to prove shit is just an illusion. Um, mm-hmm. I have been writing in terms of like wanting to direct and all that stuff. Um, you know, I don't know where all that's going. It's not like, let me tell you about my new project, but my new, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there are a few new projects. Yeah, but tell us about your new project. The Dolores Roadshow, they just announced, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited to see what's going to happen to that. So yeah, the trajectory is like, wow, I, um, now I'm a, an executive producer. <laughs> the Hamilton cast is kind of, I think the first, since Rent, the first time that a Broadway cast like that has skyrocketed. Do you see any of your experience in that or does it feel different to you? I can relate to a lot of that experience of just being in the middle of a of a tornado <laughs> in the <laughs> eye and like yeah. really needing to stay very, very close to people who are having the same experience because mm-hmm. that's where your community is. And then outside of that feels like, you know, it's hard to have any perspective when you're being objectified in that kind of way. I think mm-hmm. it takes great wisdom and learning boundaries <laughs> um like yeah. the good stuff right yeah. the beautiful right. the 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 possibility of like now people will like answer your call and you can show them what you got mm-hmm. and um i think these kids are way more um amply prepared than than perhaps I was at the time. Or even looking at a show like Wicked, where it's like Adina and Kristen, I imagine, in the same way that you're talking about Rent 25 years after the fact, I imagine Adina and Kristen will be talking about Wicked for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Yes. As it was all happening, I assume that you can't really have the wherewithal to take yourself out of it and be like, wow, I am living this moment. But what kind of perspective do you have now so far away from it looking back on that era? I think I have a lot of things I wish I would have done differently. Um, you know, I did hear from people that meant extremely well. They meant well, but they said, you know, this isn't going to happen again. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. just like an athlete or in any kind of competition, like I tried to have like a game head and not let people get in it, but people got in it, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. It was, you can play this, but you can't play that. You know, Mm. you just, you just, you're not going to ever be seen as uh, Sally Bowles. Oh, (gasps) you're such a good Sally Bowles. You would be a phenomenal Sally Bowles, Daphne. Well, I would have probably been. (laughs) Like, like I, yeah, I was like, I want to play Sally Bowles. And they're like, yeah, nah. Or, you know, stuff like that, which, you know, late, like I know that it made me hella mad at the time. And, <laughs> and I felt I felt all kinds of certain ways, like for many, many years. And um, and the roles that I that I did get reflected um, what was open to mm-hmm. me. You know, when actors say like, I did a lot of hard work and research to play that role. And I'm like. Motherfucker, I am that role. Do you know oh, what I mean? Oh, sure. Now I can see that without as much emotional um, investment. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. oh, wow. Imagine what it was like for those before me, right? Mm-hmm. Well, even you saying Sally Bowles, it's like, yes, Daphne Rubin Vega in 1998 because of the way the world was as Sally Bowles would have been like a drastic choice. But I think now Daphne Rubin Vega as Sally Bowles would be like an obvious choice, you mm-hmm. know? Well, here's here's one. Like I played Fantine in a revival of Les Mis. Oh, we know it. We are big <laughs> fans of your portrayal of Fantine. Really? <laughs> I don't mean it like that. I mean, oh, really? Thank you. You know, I got I got letters congratulating me for destroying one of the greatest roles ever written in musical theater. And if it's touchy, we don't have to go into it. But I would really love to go into that whole story and era because get it, go get it. It happened before I kind of tapped into the theater scene. I was like a kid in Hawaii, but discovering the videos of your performance, I was like, this is sensational. And then I've kind of been piecing together stories of how it happened. But I would love to hear it from you. Yeah. How it happened. 
I auditioned. I got in. I was very excited. It was going to be a revival. Um, I wasn't very familiar with Les Mis, but my boyfriend was, and he loved it. Um, and I wasn't very familiar for the reasons that we said earlier. I watched it, but I it was a revival. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to refer to anything past, because a revival is a revival, or so I thought. Thought and so my my research my deep dive was to to read the entire book well no to read wow. the Fantine book you know the the Le Misérable is a whole tome she heavy she's heavy and so I enjoyed it and I remember I was up here and I was with my baby he was like eight, nine months and mm. and we were freezing and I was thinking damn this is how she felt like imagine trying to like pee in a, in a chamber pot that like freezes yeah. around the rim. Like I was, I was like visualizing. Oh, you were in it. You were in it. I was, I was so stupid in there. You know? <laughs> so yeah. then we cut, we cut to adversity in rehearsal saying like, you know, your audition was better than your performance right now. And you said that was coming out during rehearsal. Oh man, I'm spilling mad tea. <laughs> that, that came out during previews. Previews. Okay. I was also insane. Like I was recording an album. I had a band. I had a baby. I, I'm, I'm in a fucking show. I made an album that was coming out like the week before opening. Mm-hmm. Didn't even occur to me that there would be an issue when I invited, you know, the general manager to my record release party. The first day off yeah. before, you know, like the, the opening. Right. He's like... No, you can't work the first day off that you have. The fuck I can. Yeah, exactly. The fuck I can. It's my day off. (laughs) And to that, the response was, and I quote, (laughs) you have no days off, Daphne. And so it's like, if you do this, you're not coming back. And they had like, they were, they had like the replacements. I mean, it was shady anyway. I'm a... I'm spilling all the tea. I was told that Fantine, my portrayal of Fantine was was not quite hitting it because Fantine was a lady. And then I, when I was told that, I said, Fantine is a whore who like took her teeth out and sold Has them. Has been through it. Yeah. Yeah. Fantine was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful young woman who took her teeth out and cut her hair so that she could give her child a life yeah like, come on. she's gritty she was a gentle soul perhaps she got stepped on but mm-hmm. a lady i didn't see anywhere where mr hugo <laughs> referred to her as a lady so yeah i think that i learned a lot about myself and um and the politics of theater are you grateful for your time as fontaine when you look back on it it was challenging it was very challenging and I was no angel. I was no mm-hmm. angel. I'm just going to like put that out front. I was like really burning out. But yeah, I. Uh, how else are you going to live and learn if you look at that stuff and don't take, you know, I was not a victim of anything. God knows I felt like mm-hmm. it. But, sure. I, you know, I learned to recognize and advocate differently. I mean, I'm not trying to be all Pollyanna-ish, but that's, it's like a, it's deep you know, mm-hmm. what we do in theater. Theater is not just entertainment. Theater mm-hmm. is more, to me, for me, like seriously, real talk, it's church. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, we go to laugh, we go to cry, we go to see ourselves in our humanity. The possibilities are endless. Mm-hmm. And the things that we can mm-hmm. say when we are uncensored are, are powerful. Yeah. I mean, well, thank you for talking to us about Fontaine because that was something that I wanted to like really discuss. My take is that I can't speak for how audiences and chitter chatters were at the time, but as time has gone on, I think culture has really found an appreciation for your portrayal of that character. That makes me very happy. We gays love it, Daphne. And that's who I made it. (laughs) 
Um, switching gears to yes. In the Heights. Ah. <laughs> Which I don't know if like you remember this, but for us, that's <laughs> our origin story with Daphne Rubin Vega is we posted a video <laughs> gushing about you in In the Heights mm -hmm. and you found it. That's and right. Us, and that was big. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciated that. That what a treat. Thank you. <laughs> but objectively, you stole the show. Like you were it yeah. for us in that movie. Why? Tell me. <laughs> Daphne, I literally was just saying to Quincy, like the second she is crossing that street in that hundred dollar bill, like salon cape, I, she had me. <laughs> yeah, that outfit. Such a natural on screen. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that feels good. What was the audition process for that like? Well, you know, walking into a room of mostly people that I knew and have feelings for, and then some people who I knew of uh, that I really wanted to impress. Like, I didn't know John Chu. Were you confident that you had the part? Hell no. <laughs> oh, okay. I have found that, well, I don't think I'm going to get this is not helpful when you're walking into a room. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, yeah. I know everybody and their mommy is going to audition for this and that some people do have dibs, right? Like, it's not mm -hmm. mine to lose. You know, sometimes I have to remind myself twice that, you know, what I really do have to offer is my fullness, right? And mm -hmm. that I'm not really good at imitating other people and how they do mm -hmm. things. You know, Andrea Burns was so good and so powerful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I learned mm -hmm. I learned this song from her. And, mm -hmm. you know, her energy is so infectious and right for her, Daniela. Um, so mm -hmm. I just had to be a, be mindful of, of not falling into another Daniela, mm -hmm. to into her Daniela. Like, I had to create right. my own. Well, and it feels like Daniela is another character that from what, you know, we've been talking about, like she's another woman who just like lives in you. So of course you have that to tap into. Yeah. And being a Latina from a long line of, of very, very powerful women who were self-employed, doing hair is an empowering way of being self-sufficient and self-employed and empowered as a, as a woman of color. So there was that. And there was also, you know, the wonderful tasty treat of Kiara giving me that well, actually, I did not know that until after I got the role. The tasty treat of knowing that, like, Daniela, you know, Carla and Daniela were not just a salon employer employees, but that they were life partners. Um, yeah. It yeah. was like, oh, whoa. I was okay. so, loved that change. It was so good. Me too, me too. I like playing a sugar mommy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a first for me. I've never been a sugar mommy before. Well, it fit you fabulously. Thank you. I, I loved it. Okay, so question, Daphne. Yes. Have we gone in for or even late at night thought <laughs> about the idea of being Mademorable in the Wicked movie? If John were to call me and say, Mrs. Morable, sure. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I would love to play in that game. You know what I mean? Like, that would be such mm -hmm. a wonderful... Uh, work party to show up to. Yeah, do you think I would make a good Madame Morrible? I think you would, Daphne. We were talking about it before you got on. We think you would really sell Madame Morrible's moment in act two where she goes, now you listen to me and like gives Glinda a stern talking to. You know this. I think it's worth putting feelers out for. I don't know, talk to your agent, <laughs> something. Okay, duly noted. Note to sell. All right, listeners, if this happens, it's because yeah. we started it That's here. That's right, man. If that ever happens, we have to, we have to give props. Definitely. <laughs> we'll come back. Wouldn't that be funny? Daphne, this has been so fun. Likewise, beautiful, beautiful humans. Before we go, I wanna ask, what is a theatrical role that either you've gone in for that you got really close to and didn't book or a role that you did book, but because of scheduling or whatever reason you had to say no to? A path not taken. A path not taken. Well, you know, I was asked to go back to rent and you know. Really? You know, close it oh. yeah to close it well yeah and renee renee elise did ex like you know mm -hmm. she closed it just the way it was supposed yeah. to be closed we can tell you past that we would love for you to take <laughs> go 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 hit me and i'll tell you if i uh if i did 
A path I would love for you to take at some point, Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd. Oh, Ooh, definitely. Yeah. That'd be fun. But you know what? Um, <laughs> she, she, because of Empanada Loca, it's like, fuck Mrs. Lovett. Mm. I mean, I like Mrs. Lovett, but it's sure. Sweeney. It's mm-hmm. Sweeney Todd. Like, I want to be Sweeney yeah. Todd, Ooh. you know? Oh, I've been, okay. I've been uh, tapped for uh, Norma Desmond's Sunset <laughs> 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 Boulevard with, with Leah Delaria as Max. Oh, whoa, that would be so <laughs> good. Okay, wait, Kevin has one too that I really like. Oh, oh I do have one. one. The way that they're casting this current off-Broadway revival, I would love to see you as Audrey in Little Shop. <gasps> oh, Audrey. Oh, Ellen yeah. Green. Ellen Green. Ellen Green. I know, I know. Daphne, loop us in with your agent. We'll send some suggestions. Yeah, uh, who else? Who this else? This is what we'd like. Daphne, I would love to see you put your stamp on like something super um, golden agey, like- Mame. Y- oh, Mame. That's it. Yeah, just to just to mess with people, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep them on their toes. Truly. Oh my God. Well, thank you so much, Daphne. This has been so fun. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. I hope we had fun and silliness and wisdom all combined. That's what it is. <laughs> Till the next time. Yep. Well, Kevin, first non-wicked guest in the books. I was so overwhelmed. Like, f- truly feeling things I've never felt. What a surreal moment. Truly surreal. Like, truly, here's the thing. And I, I feel like we say this about the podcast and doing the podcast all the time. But it's like, yeah, if 12-year-old <laughs> Quincy could, like, see that this was happening right now, he would be shook to his core. This is one of the first times that, like, a voice that I grew up with mm-hmm. in my headphones is now in my headphones. I mean, I think the first thing we can acknowledge is the fact that she logged into this podcast and understood the <laughs> shtick and was like, let me tell you my wicked story. I wasn't in Wicked, but I'll tell you my story. <laughs> but I could have been. <laughs> I love that she did that. Now I kind of want to ask any non-wicked guests we have if they have a touch point with Wicked. Do you have a touch point? Yeah. I agree. That's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone has a touch point with Wicked. You have a relationship to Wicked. Yeah, that was great. But was my Mrs. Lovett suggestion, because I didn't tell you that I was going to say that before time, is that good? That is so good. But then when she was like, yeah, but what about Sweeney Todd? And I was like, honestly, I'd pay to see either. But also Audrey and Little Shop feels like it could happen literally next month, you know? After hearing her talk about Fontaine, I was like, oh yeah, Audrey and Little Shop, they're not the same character, but like... (laughs) But life has dealt both of them. A, a shitty hand. A shitty, <laughs> shitty. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living. Far from Skid Row. Far from Skid Row. But speaking of Les Mis, before we dance away from that. Dancing through I couldn't. Sorry. Okay. I couldn't help but relate it to when we talked to Jessica Vosk and she was like, being in Wicked is like working at Chili's. They wanted mm. Daphne Rubin Vega to work at Chili's and she was like, no, bitch. No, I'm actually going to interpret this for myself because that's what I'm here for. What's interesting, I think, though, is in the broad strokes of Les Mis, mm-hmm. leading up to that, Daphne Rubin Vega is very much an Eponine. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, she has, like, that grittiness and, like, her voice is even similar sure, yeah. to Francis. So for her to then show up with that package and step into the role that was always, like, so wayfish and tragic, I understand where that friction comes from. And I st- yeah, I stand by what I said where it's, like, I feel like now culture appreciates that. Maybe at the time, and I can't speak for it, I wasn't around. I mean, I was around, but I wasn't around. I think like now, especially culture has really profound appreciation for Daphne Rubin Vega's Fontaine. Now looking back, we're like, she was giving us something special then. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we weren't ready to receive it. Sure. But she did it. And then she goes on to the next thing. Yeah. I think an experience of hers that we've not yet gotten to discuss with any of our guests has been from the beginning through the entire Broadway process mm-hmm. and to then give it over to somebody. But it was really cool that her perspective was like, that's a blessing to be able to do that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm very happy with how this first non-Wicked interview went. I felt very safe with Miss Ruben Vega. I felt very comforted. <laughs> I loved. Yeah. No, she, I mean, she was an incredible guest. 
Shall we get into Kevzian Quincical? Is that what we're calling it? <laughs> Here is a letter from listener Adam. Hi, Kevin and Quincy. This is Adam writing in with a question. What do you think in terms of vocals that an actress needs to really be able to nail the songs that Elphaba is required to sing? Because when you think about the actresses who played the role, their voices can be wildly different. Think about Adina versus Julia versus Jessica Voss. Their voices are wildly different, but they really were able to nail the songs in the score. So in your opinion, what is it in an actress's voice that they need to nail the score, whether it be timber, tone, whatever you want to focus on? Wow, Adam, that's a really great, profound question. Terrific. My initial thought as you were like saying, asking this question was, well, the journey I went on during this question was at first I was like, what is he talking about? Anyone who hits the notes can hit the notes. That's fine. And then as you like went on, I was like, oh no, I think he actually has a point because I do agree in that there are actresses who can sing Alphaba songs and sound right. And there are actresses who can sing Alphaba songs, hit the notes, and it doesn't necessarily hit in the same way or sound like it fits in like the world of the show. It was Jackie Burns who was saying that her singing comes from a a place with it, like an acting place. She can't sing, she can't hit a note if she can't justify it with acting. So I thought about that. And then I thought about in every little step when Bayork Lee is like, she doesn't know what it's like to fight for a seat on the subway. Mm. And I think that the answer to this question lies in the middle of that where it's like I think there's just there's like an inner tick that lets you sing a certain way maybe this is like the corniest answer I do agree that there are other actresses who are maybe who I've heard sing wicked songs out of context and it doesn't hit and what I Mm -hmm. think when I'm watching it is like oh it feels sanitized like that's the word that I always go back to where like it feels very just like Yes, they're hitting the notes, but there's no like deeper connection there. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what's needed for Alphaba proper on like in the production of Wicked. There has to be like a grit or an imperfection or some sort of unique quality to their voice. Some sort of something that gives them a unique stake in the role slash song slash way of singing. That sets them apart. It's that spark. Yeah, Adam, I don't know. I think there needs to be some sort of... Imperfection is the wrong word, but there needs to be something different and unique about Mm -hmm. the way that actress sings. I mean, like, the technical answer is that it's just, like... I never want to hear an alphabet who mixes. I'm sorry. There are alphabets who mix. Like, you have have heard and loved alphabets who are mixing, I I assure you. Mm -hmm. But it's, like, mix is a spectrum. And so it's like, you can have a very chesty mix. You can have a very heady mix. Are you out here fighting for mix, right? <laughs> Baby, I am fighting for vocal health, okay? <laughs> Endurance and longevity. Adam, did that answer your question? I don't know. I feel like we just kind of rambled. Uh-huh. Um, I hope you guys like this first non-Wicked episode. We're really excited about it. We will see you all in two weeks. And with that, goodbye, Quincy. Bye, guys. <laughs> You've been listening to Sentimental Men. This episode was produced and edited by your hosts, Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi. You can reach us at sentimentalmenpod at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at sentmenpod. You can support the pod by leaving us a rating or a review or by subscribing. Subscribers get early access to our regular episodes, monthly bonus episodes, and get added to the Scent Men Green Circle which is literally our close friends on Instagram. (laughs) Thanks to Julia DiMarzo for our thrillifying artwork. And thanks to you for tuning in. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. Oh, what's the entrance music going to be for her? (laughs) Wait, that's fine. We should do it. Or should it be um, light my candle when it's like... Okay, bye. Bye.